One year ago, I launched this podcast with an episode about human trafficking. So today, I want to revisit the topic and give you an update on some of the progress that's been made and some of the challenges that still exist to end this horrible crime once and for all. And we've received good news. To crack down on human trafficking, the bill now has 66 sponsors in the Senate, meaning that it would easily pass if it were only brought up for a vote. The bill that I'm talking about is Stop Enabling Sex Trafficking Act, and it would crack down on websites like Backpage.com that knowingly facilitate sex trafficking. I joined a bipartisan group of senators in introducing this bill, and the lead on this bill was Senator Rob Portman of Ohio, who is going to be my first guest today. And later, I'll talk to an advocate who has dedicated her career to protecting children from horrible crimes that still are all too common in our society. First up, we have Senator Rob Portman, Republican from Ohio. Senator Portman was elected to the United States Senate in 2010 and has become a leader on anti-human trafficking efforts. He led the Senate's Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations, which I sit on, and spearheaded a two-year investigation into Backpage and its role in facilitating human trafficking on its sites. Um, The subcommittee's investigation paved the way for our bill to crack down on sites like Backpage.com. And so, Rob, welcome to the hot dish. First off, you and I serve on a committee that um, doesn't get a lot of attention, but it has an incredible jurisdictional reach, and that's Homeland Security and Government Affairs. And you have taken over the mantle of chair of the Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations, which is an enormously powerful and important and very, very bipartisan committee here. And it's where really important work, oversight work, gets done in the United States Senate. And you and Claire decided early on to take on this issue of Backpage.com. Why was that? Well, first of all, thanks for your help on the subcommittee as well as the full committee and supporting our efforts on pushing back against sex trafficking. Over the years, uh, I've done a lot of work in the the area of drug addiction, and that connected me more to uh, trafficking because increasingly, particularly with the opioid addiction problem, uh, people are getting addicted or traffickers are making people addicted to kind of have that dependency to create that ability than to have the trafficking that is uh, unbelievably uh, increasing in our country today. And uh, to me, that's a, it's a it's a stain on our national character. And uh, I know in North Dakota, you've been focused on that issue. And, and uh, we've got in Ohio, too. Uh, so what we learned in talking to victims in Ohio of trafficking is that increasingly this was happening online. As victims told me, as I'm sure they've told you, um, you know, it's gone from the street corner uh, to the smartphone. And the experts all tell us, uh, including the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, I see you've been talking to them about this too, that the increase in trafficking is related to the, uh, what I consider the ruthless efficiency of selling people online, usually women and children. And uh, so it just led us down this path to think, well, how could this happen in this country, in this century? And we looked at, into it. The more and more we, we researched it, the more one name came up, which was Backpage.com. Uh, found out about three quarters of the commercial sex traffic goes under this one website. And that they, according to 
uh, a lot of the experts, you know, were engaged in, in illegal activity online. And how, how could that happen? So that led us to this investigation of Backpage that you were part of, 18 months, um, and a long process. You know, Backpage wouldn't give us the documents. They wouldn't testify. We had to go all the way to the Supreme Court to enforce a subpoena. And after looking at about a million documents <laughs> mm-hmm. and a lot of good legal work, we were able to determine they not only were engaged in this activity, but knowingly engaged in selling underage girls um, online, uh, actually editing ads that uh, indicated they were underage so that they could keep the ad and keep the profit, uh, but yet running the ad anyway. Incredible. And you've heard all the stories, yeah. but it's just, you remember the woman who testified before us who said her 14-year-old daughter had gone missing and she's gone for 10 weeks. The mom is so distraught. She calls a friend one day and says, can you help? And the friend says, well, how about checking out Backpage? Because, you know, sadly, that's where some of these uh, kids that leave home end up, and she finds her daughter on Backpage. Remember, she calls mm-hmm. Backpage and says, uh, I just found my 14-year-old daughter on your website. Please take down the ad and help connect me to her. And they said, well, did you pay for the ad? She said, well, no, she's my daughter. It, 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 she's 14. It, you know, I we, we attend a lot of committee hearings, um, some more interesting than others, but one that is just absolutely... Um, well, will stay with me the rest of my life is when the principles of Backpage.com came before the committee mm-hmm. and and took the fifth, mm-hmm. um, but but smugly took the fifth. Mm-hmm. There was there was absolutely no remorse mm-hmm. from from the, these principles. They were willing to bank that money and somehow have convinced themselves that they're champions of the First Amendment, mm-hmm. and it is so insulting. It's insulting on so many levels to think yeah. that you can, in fact, um, protect your fel- yourself from the uh, from uh, any kind of uh, culpability or responsibility, either civil or criminal, by alleging you have a First Amendment right to sell children. Yeah. You know that I don't think that's what the founders thought when they created no. uh, this this no. freedom. But but let's go to um, drafting the bill and the mm-hmm. challenges you had. So mm-hmm. so we do the hearing. We know this is a problem. We know that it's not going to correct. Itself. And we know that judges, because, you know, we've seen court decisions where they say, well, I think this is bad, but they're protected by the Communications Decency Act. And mm-hmm. so this is like the holy grail of the tech industry, right? This is like their their Bible, and they don't want anything changed, even though it was written in 97 and technology has changed and how we use technology has changed. Um, and through your leadership in putting together a bill and through uh, Senator Blumenthal's leadership in taking the lead on the Democratic side, again, a civil rights champion, but also a former AG and former prosecutor mm-hmm. who understands these challenges, um, you guys were able to pull together a very narrowly crafted bill. Mm-hmm. And we all did, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, You're all our yeah, staff was involved. And, mm-hmm. and so, so now we've got this great product that's been vetted that we think is very narrow, but accomplishes the purpose. Mm-hmm. What's our challenge in getting it um, mm-hmm. moved forward, Rob? Well, I think you, you said it well. And just to repeat what you said in terms of the immunity, so people understand, because it's complicated, but believe it or not, these websites like Backpage, when they are sued... Uh, they're able to push back and say, well, we have an immunity under federal law. The federal law, Congress (laughs) passed a law that gave people immunity to be able to sell other people online. That doesn't make any sense. It's it's a federal violation to be involved in trafficking, and yet somehow, if you do it on the Internet, it's okay. So that's what our legislation does. It's very simple. It's very targeted. As you know, you were involved as part of a group of 
six of us who put this together, but it says basically, look, 21 years ago, Congress passed this law. It was never intended to protect sex traffickers. Uh, so we need to narrowly say, hey, if you willingly engage in trafficking, then you're liable and someone can bring a lawsuit against you so the victims can get their day in court and prosecutors can go after you. And I think our chances of getting it done are, are much better now because we've had a hearing, as you know, at the Commerce Committee, which has jurisdiction over this. It was a unanimous vote in the end. Uh, we had very compelling testimony, again, very emotional testimony. The tech community uh, is split. You know, some are with us now because we have convinced them that this is very narrow and targeted, and we've clarified that in some of the language. But some are still pushing back, and I, I do think it's wrong. I think uh, these aren't bad actors in terms of trafficking uh, who are pushing back. For the most part, they're companies that are not engaged in trafficking, and they're actually against trafficking, but they're protecting bad actors. Mm-hmm. And uh, in that respect, you know, they are they are part of the problem here. So we do have to get this bill to the floor. We are going to have to go through a, a, a debate and a battle on this because there's some colleagues who are taking the tech community position, which is you can't touch this holy grail, as you call it. But we'll win because we've got 67 co-sponsors as of today. And that's unusual in this place, as you know, mm-hmm. better than me, uh, uh, to get that kind of bipartisan. The majority of Democrats are on it. The majority of Republicans are on it. And then we've got to get it through the House and to the president for a signature. The House has a different approach. We think their approach doesn't address the online problem. And, uh, you know, we think their approach, which has um, different elements to it, could be helpful. But it doesn't address the issue that we uncovered after 18 months of serious, careful, intense investigation, which is that unless you deal with this immunity, you're going to continue to have an increase in trafficking because of this federal law that needs to be changed. Uh, it, you know, it is, it's, it's remarkable that um, when you would tell the public, I mean, you go home to Ohio, I go home to North Dakota, they say, well, how can they get by with this? How can they get mm-hmm. by with posting this ad? What That girl is obviously a child. Mm-hmm. How, how do they get by with this? And you say, oh, federal law has been determined by some courts to allow this. Mm-hmm. And people are outraged. They're absolutely outraged because when you say federal law, that that's them. Mm-hmm. That's us. Yeah. And if we stand by and don't fix this problem, you know, we, we will be judged very, very harshly in mm-hmm. the court of public opinion and by the victims who um, who absolutely need this protection and their families need this security. One thing that we've talked about is is recovery from being a trafficking victim. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've done a lot of work with the Runaway and Homeless Youth Program. I've seen how kids get into this. Your your path is is um, through drugs. Drugs mm-hmm. are obviously mm-hmm. a huge, um, you know, you want, you want your next fix, then you better perform for me. Yep. Um, you know, runaways are particularly vulnerable. So we know um, that we've got to prevent this, but we also know it's incredibly expensive to help people recover. Mm-hmm. And the heartbreaking stories from family members talking about how they aren't really sure that their daughter, um, even though they're now in their 20s, will ever be able to leave the house. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's it's heartbreaking. And so why shouldn't that family have the right to sue, sue an organization that profited from selling their daughter? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all we're saying here. And you're right, the... I was with some folks this morning from Ohio who uh, work in the mentoring mm-hmm. uh, of foster kids. And, you know, when kids graduate from foster, the emancipation age, 18, 
often, you know, they're out in the street. I mean, they really don't have a home. Uh, they don't have a job. They aren't going to college in some cases. And this program is, uh, and these people I talked to today, are, are, they're, they're attempting to provide that bridge to something else, whether it's a job or, or school. And they talked about trauma and the enormous, as you say, cost and personal costs that's associated with trafficking. And you can, I mean, think about it. This girl who's 14 years old has been trafficked and raped repeatedly. Uh, you know, her, her life is forever changed. And can she come out of it? Yes. With a lot of support and proper treatment, yeah. But it takes a lot of effort and time. And and uh, the, the human cost is just incalculable because it's, uh, it's you know, one of the most horrible uh, traumatic experiences you, you can imagine. So... What we've got to do is prevent this from happening by shutting down this online auctioning of people, uh, which is really what it is. It's almost, you know, like a modern day slavery in that sense, and get a much better uh, prevention message out there so that these young people know that this path, which is, uh, again, sometimes connected with drugs, sometimes not, uh, you know, is is going to cause their lives to be changed in negative ways forever. And and again, it's not that people don't come out the other end; they do. And mm-hmm. the stories of success are heartwarming and inspiring, but they're also just a lot of really um, heartbreaking stories. Yeah, you know, one thing that um, and I just want to give a shout out to the McCain Institute and Cindy McCain in particular. No one nationally in this country has given uh, as much exposure to this problem and has been, you know, that organization is so incredibly committed, the McCain Institute, to looking at every level of this problem, prevention all the way to prosecution and recovery. But you know, people say, well, it doesn't happen where I am. This doesn't affect me. You know, I was just talking to the service provider in, in my state, which happens to be my sister, I have to confess. Mm-hmm. Um, and I asked her how they, you know, who's, what's the youngest victim you've had that you've been working with, victim of trafficking? She said 11. Mm-hmm. Think about that. Yeah. How how does a, an eleven year old recover? And and you know we're finding out more and more. And I, I maybe want to introduce you in my trauma bill, because mm-hmm. I've been working very hard to try and make sure that all of our federal programs are trauma informed. Because when we don't address these traumas, we we we're only treating symptoms long term. Yeah. And so, but we know from the work that we're doing now in trauma that there are neurological changes that happen. This isn't just mm-hmm. a behavior mental health issue. We have neurological changes as a result of the exposure to toxic stress or mm-hmm. or trauma and and so a, a pound of prevention getting bad guys off the internet and getting them a culpable and responsible an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Yeah. And stopping these children from being exploited to begin with um, is going to take everybody. And the good news, I want everyone to know that this is an incredible project here in, in Washington, mm-hmm. D.C. that is bipartisan. It's bicameral, even though I don't agree with the House bill. Mm-hmm. But it, it is a very, very high priority. And I know you're pushing the majority leader to get you floor time um, ASAP on mm-hmm. this so that we can move it and get it done this Congress. Yeah, I hope next time uh, people learn about this issue, it will be because we're on the floor of the Senate in the next few weeks and actually having this debate and understanding, um, you know, we're going to have some pushback. We'll also have the opportunity to increase people's awareness about this issue all across the country. And it does happen everywhere. And, you know, I, I know that uh, some people do say, 
to me, Rob, this is something that happens in Asia or Africa. This is about trafficking international kids, right? And I say, no, it's actually uh, not. I mean, there are immigrants who come to this country, some illegally, who get entrapped in this, and that's part of the, you know, the traffickers' um, technique is they take illegal kids and tell them, you know, we're going to go to the authorities unless you do this, perform this act. But it's also, unfortunately, in your suburban neighborhood, your urban neighborhood, if you live in the country, your your rural neighborhood. I mean, it is, uh, it is everywhere. And it's in Indian country. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. And it's something that is just under the surface. A lot of people don't know about it, but it's there. So raising that awareness, talking to your kids about it, understanding that, uh, you know, there are some kids who uh, do leave home or runaways or foster kids uh, who we have to protect. They're some of the most vulnerable, uh, the missing children um, legislation that you and I supported a few years ago helps in that to identify these kids as quickly as possible, have photographs of them, which weren't required unbelievably before our legislation. That's all important. But I'll tell you another story. It's about a suburban girl who um, gets mad at her mom, you know, because she doesn't get good grades once one quarter of school and she goes to the mall and she meets another girl who says, hey, come to this party. And uh, she's got a, you know, promising life ahead of her. She's got a, you know, parents that have the means to support her in college and go on and Instead, she goes to this party, and that's it, because at the party, you know, they introduce her to uh, not a nice young girl like the one she met at the mall, but a trafficker who says, you know, try this stuff, and she likes this stuff because it's drugs, and she gets dependent on it, and something changes in her in her brain that she becomes addicted, and then it's, I'll provide the drugs as long as you do this. And uh, one of those young girls now has started a uh, a group in Ohio that literally provides bars of soap and hotel rooms in the in the bathrooms because that's the one place where these girls sometimes have some privacy. And the bar of soap simply has, you know, if you need help, call this number. And they've had girls call in. You know, they put these, soap, uh, these bars of soap out during uh, Super Bowls and other big mm-hmm. sporting events uh, because that's where a lot of trafficking tends to occur, sadly. So that's another story. It has It has to do with all of us. And, you know, it could be the family next door. So everybody needs to be involved. There there are so many uh, innovative ways that um, the nonprofit community is working to do the outreach to make sure the number's there. Just just my own story, um, a woman who was on the circuit Right. So so they come up from Chicago, from Minneapolis um, and, you know, they go to Grand Forks, they go to Fargo, start in Fargo. She sees an ad on a bulletin board in a truck stop saying, you know, anti-trafficking ad, call this number. She memorizes the number. She the next time she's in Fargo, not that time, she calls ahead and said, I'm going to be at this truck stop. Can you have someone there to pick me up? So wow. she had to endure that whole circuit before yeah. she could get back. But just that one bulletin board mm-hmm. with with that offer of help. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we've got to be prepared to help or they're going to right. go back into the life. Right. And we also have to be a little flexible on age because a lot of the, the women who are now involved in this life uh, were recruited when they were minors. They mm-hmm. were victims mm-hmm. of sexual assault. And so we've got a lot of work to do. But this this issue of uh, making sure that we hold people responsible who are making money, who want to say, it's not on me. 
well, we're going to make it on you. Mm-hmm. We're going to make it on you. And that's uh, a step in absolutely the right direction. And your leadership has mm-hmm. been instrumental in moving this forward. Your absolute commitment. We have a lot of things that pull at us here. And, and so when you take this time to do this work, that means mm-hmm. other priorities of yours aren't getting done, Rob. Mm-hmm. And so I want to tell you how much I appreciate yeah, well, likewise. your personal you know, uh, investment in this. I think everybody's invested in this. And quite frankly, if this organization, the United States Senate, can't get behind a bill to protect victims of child sexual assault in a bipartisan way, I don't hold a lot of hope for the budget. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. if we can't get together on this, we this, won't this get This should together be relatively easy because it's just so obvious this has to be changed. And it's our job to do it. Yeah. And well, thanks for your help in doing that. You bet. Thank you, Rob, for joining me on The Hot Dish. Um, people all over North Dakota will be listening. Excellent. And then they'll say, what a smart guy. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know to say that, but they'll, <laughs> but, they'll, but they'll say this is an issue that I mean, we need to address. And uh, yeah, I, I look forward to continuing to work with you on it. Thank you so much. Thanks, Heidi. Yota Suras is the executive director and general counsel of the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. That organization does critical work to help find missing children, reduce child sexual exploitation, and prevent victimization. Yota has been a tireless advocate for victims and a big asset in our fight to pass the bill to stop websites from allowing sex trafficking on their site. She worked closely with our offices to help draft this bill and was a stellar and amazing witness on behalf of the bill in front of the Senate Commerce Committee. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's just, uh, I also want to add that I consider you a great friend and an amazing advocate. You're one of those people that works every day in Washington, takes the skills that God gave you, and does the Lord's work with them, which is protecting the most vulnerable among us, which really is children. And so, um, you know, I think a lot of people in North Dakota know the National Center because of the work um, that was done on the Jacob Weatherling case and Patty Weatherling. Maybe just give us a little bit background on the National Center and how you, how the center has gotten involved in this issue of sex trafficking. Absolutely. And Senator, thank you so much for having me here today. The National Center, as you noted, is a clearinghouse, um, you know, quite simply, and a resource center for the nation on issues relating to missing and exploited children. So uh, as you noted, our our work focuses on, um, you know, issues of prevention and assisting on missing children cases, but also on exploited cases, um, whether that be online through child pornography, or more recently to um, try to address and attack the problem of online child sex trafficking, which we're here to discuss today. I I think one of the things people don't understand is the role that runaway and missing kids play in this issue of human trafficking. So just give us some sense of um, why uh, a group that was looking for missing kids automatically has to get involved in something like trafficking. Absolutely. Well, several years ago, we started to see this alarming correlation between our our runaway population who were being reported to us. Um, We're showing up on the exploited side. Um, we're showing up as being sexually exploited online or being sold for trafficking. So at that time, we created a unique analytical team to start a- attacking really the merger of those two crimes against children. And we've come up with some really alarming statistics. Last year, for instance, um, we know that one in seven runaways reported to NCMEC was likely a victim of child sex trafficking. So the correlation
infection um, is is very high between those two populations. It's just a very, very high risk factor, runaway and homeless youth. And that's why we've been pushing in my office um, to the, the reauthorization of the runaway and homeless youth program. The earlier we can get these kids off the street and into some kind of controlled setting, the less likely they're going to fall victims and prey to, to predators. But one of the issues that you experienced in trying to do this work and identify these kids is um, running full on into Backpage.com. And uh, can you just explain how Backpage initially wanted to convince you that they were your friends? Sure. So um, <laughs> as you noted, and as I just explained, we started to become aware of this issue of online child sex trafficking. Um, and you know, really started to see it move online. And where we started to see it move online um, principally several years ago was on a website called Backpage.com. Um, and, and as a clearinghouse, we, uh, you know, communicate and inter- interact with many organizations and companies. And Backpage was a company that um, initiated discussions with us um, several years ago regarding trying to make sure their site was safe, um, safe for children, um, you know, not carrying child sex trafficking ads, etc. And over the course of a few years, we did engage in, in good faith in those discussions. We provided numerous recommendations. Um, you know, we provided examples of ads uh, that, you know, were showing up on their website that we were receiving reports about children who were being trafficked. And it, it became apparent to us uh, probably four or five years ago that Backpage simply was not interested in instituting any of those remedial actions that we were recommending. In fact, um, the, the evidence proved contrary. And, and I think that's one of the great things that was done by the Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations when we looked into it. Not only were they not willing to work with advocates, they were complicit. And and quite honestly, the, the findings of PSI, um, you know, some of them were issues that we were seeing in our own work at NCMEC, but many were quite alarming, um, especially, uh, you know, some findings that suggested they were actually limiting the number of ads being reported as children to NCMEC. Extremely alarming for our staff to read that. Absolutely. And when they were confronted with this, it was nanny boo boo, you can't get me, the First Amendment protects me, and the uh, Communication or the Communication Decency Act uh, protects me. And, and somehow, for me, it is so abhorrent to think that the Communications Decency Act, some, an act that was passed by Congress to really uh, address um, open access to, a, to an information marketplace and the First Amendment, were being exploited so that they could make money from people who sold children on their website. Absolutely. There's there's really no more offensive argument in, in this ongoing debate around SESTA and around these issues than this invocation of our First Amendment rights or our free speech rights to protect the sale of a child for rape and sexual abuse. That is what we're talking about, plain and simple. Child sex trafficking is criminal conduct. Um, as, as we all know, it is criminal conduct Across the U.S., in every jurisdiction, in every circumstance where it happens, it has no legal or constitutional protections. But I, I think a lot of lawyers and participants in this debate over SESTA, though, have— And, e- and by that, we're, we're talking about the bill, uh, Rob Portman's and my bill, and a number of our colleagues' bill that would, in fact, amend the Communications Decency Act so that we could eliminate any possibility that they would use this argument. A- so, absolutely. Yeah. Sorry, I'm using the acronym yeah. to, to refer to it. Um, but 
But within these debates, the First Amendment has been invoked as a sort of siren song for for attorneys that once it's raised, we all have to to back away. Um, But as a society, we frequently... Um, you know, upheld and protected First Amendment and free speech rights within their appropriate parameters while also protecting society. And here we're talking about the most vulnerable members of society, children 12, 13, 14, 15 years old being sold multiple times a night to adult males to be raped and sexually abused. There's no more vulnerable population that needs protection. So um, we rolled up our sleeves and started really working um, uh, very diligently to try and craft a very narrow exception to the Communications Decency Act because most of the people working on this, you know, Senator Blumenthal, who is the lead for the Democratic side, uh, Senator Portman, no one wants to to, um, unnecessarily amend this unless... Um, unless, you know, we, we need this exception to be very, very narrow. And that's where your work came in. Um, I think you guys have done, uh, you along with um, the whole legal team that has put this bill together, um, has done just a masterful job in crafting very narrow exceptions. Um, uh, can you can you say that, um, you know, when 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 you look at this, if I'm if I'm somebody who cares about for free speech and let's say the ACLU or some outside organization, and we all know who was pushing back pretty hard, um, how do you respond to their argument that this is overly broad and and should not um, should not be passed? I, I certainly know those arguments are out there. <laughs> um, we, we certainly have, have all heard them. And um, as you noted, there, there have been many attempts to address this problem. Um, you know, I think it's important to note that that SESTA, the, the current bill, um, Senator Heikamp, that, that you and the other senators have put together, um, is the first bill that NCMEC has actually come in and supported. And we've done so because of its narrowness. Um, you know, there are many bills before or attempts that we thought were too overbroad. And like many, we were concerned about the overbreadth. Um, what SESTA does, though, is it targets three simple elements, provides three very targeted remedies, um, and does not expand beyond the, the sex trafficking crime, which we're all trying to address, and which, and which the courts have called on Congress to address as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really, you know, th- that is the reason why NCMEC has supported the bill and, and also why it is the most successful solution out there right now. Would you mind walking through those three things? Absolutely. So people understand the bill a little Absolutely. Bit Quite simply, SESTA really does three things. Um, the first is that it enables victims, both uh, child victims and vulnerable adults who have been trafficked, to bring a private lawsuit in court against their online traffickers. They cannot do that currently. Second, it really empowers, for the first time ever, state attorneys general to protect the most vulnerable residents within their states, both civilly and criminally, by going after online traffickers who are preying on their residents. And third, it provides a small bit of very clear guidance to the courts, which they have asked for, um, indicating to them that when a website knowingly facilitates the trafficking, basically the sale of a human being for sex, they can be held liable for the harm they cause, a, a very simple premise that we accept for every other crime. I want to make this point about the First Amendment. There is no bill that could be written in America that would eliminate your First Amendment rights. Of course right? not. Of and course so they not. keep saying, well, you're, you're hurting my First <clears throat> Amendment rights. I'm like, no, we're not. I mean, we are amending a, a, a statute that you are using as a shield 
to protect your bad behavior. That's the only thing that we are doing. Absolutely. The, the only thing that's illegal under the statute is knowingly facilitating the sale of a human being for sex. And I want to make a point about families because um, when a child has been victimized like this, and we've heard this from family members and from the victims themselves, there is years and years of therapy, years and years of rehabilitation that needs to take place. You know, Backpage has made millions and millions of dollars. You know, maybe they ought to pay for some of that treatment. And when people say, well, they didn't know, let me tell you, when a mother calls Backpage.com and says, you have, uh, you're advertising my 16-year-old daughter, take the ad down. And the response is, if you didn't pay for the ad, we're not going to take it down. That clearly demonstrates that the profit motive is much more significant and important to that organization. The the AGs have, um, on a very bipartisan basis, have begged for this authority, the state AGs. And as a former state AG, I, I know that they will use it wisely and appropriately and do what they can. But the real message here for me is to all those courts that we thought were so narrowly reading or broadly reading the Communications Decency Act, you know, and, and the protections there to basically allow someone to be, um, you know, an abetter of criminal activity, uh, you know, knowingly. Um, I think that the courts will definitely use that opportunity to to right the ship and basically protect the most vulnerable. I, I think they absolutely will. And I think some of the confusion with the courts is, as you noted, the Communications Decency Act, which is being used, was written in 1996 and hasn't been amended since then. So courts are trying to you know, put a round peg in a square hole in many ways. They're using the Communications Decency Act, which talks about publications and, and editing content, to apply to a website. Um, we simply have to stop using a 1996 law to try to fix a 21st century problem. Yeah. It doesn't work. And you don't have to come on comment on this, but I will. Um, I am very concerned that the vehicle that move forward to solve this problem be the Senate vehicle. I am convinced that the um, bill that's being considered in the House not only doesn't do what the Senate bill does, it may create even more harm and more protection for organizations like Backpage.com. And, you know, it may sound uh, proprietary or, or, you know, like I'm turf protecting, but I care so much about getting this bill done. Um, now, I'm going to turn to something else other than the bill because it's an argument we get all the time. Backpage.com is not on the dark web, not yet, although I think we have some evidence that that um, from, from the Philippine uh, um, collection of data that we have a bigger problem uh, internationally than what we thought. But Backpage argues that if we wouldn't do it on this very public and open bulletin board, it's just going to go to the dark web and it's going to get harder and harder to basically hold more and more people accountable. And we're the good corporate citizens and you're passing this so-called business on to even uh, to really bad guys. How do you respond to that argument? I, I think I have two responses. First of all, you need to, I think the Everyone needs to understand that trafficking is a commercial exchange. Um, it is not a gratuitous, you know, I'm putting something up on my website. It requires a seller and it requires a buyer and it requires a lot of buyers. Um, and the way you do that is you have a public open website. Um, if a website like this goes to the dark web or is heavily password protected, et cetera, its clientele falls off. It is much harder to attract mm -hmm. customers. And as you noted, there is a profit margin. This is a marketplace, plain and simple. That's all this is. It is there to make money. Um, so if you take it to the dark web and, you know, that argument that it'll go underground, quote unquote, um, 
to me, simply doesn't ring true because you cut off your client base, you cut off your profit margin. Um, so I do not see that being a, a viable problem that could arise. Frankly, if it does, there are enough advocacy groups and, and law enforcement who have um, unique technology that they are looking at the dark web and, and other possibilities around that area as well. So the dark web will not stay dark forever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think um, one of the one of the other issues around that, um, you know, which is similar to the issue of, well, just like you said, it's open and public. Let it just stay there. It's it's not hidden. Every time an ad goes up for a child. As we know and as we've heard from many victims, the phone rings off the hook with Johns to buy that child. So an ad that doesn't go up for a night or a week or if it goes to the dark web and it only gets half as many phone calls, that is half as many times that child is going to be purchased and raped that day or that night. And from an advocate's point of view, that is tremendously valuable, of, of course. Um, you know, there simply is is no positive argument for saying, well, it's out in the open What's out in the open is the possibility for that child to be purchased, to be raped and abused. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can't say it strongly enough that um, this is reprehensible, that, you know, we're sitting in the hearing and you did such a great job. And I remember looking at your face as Backpage.com was at the Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations and saying the things you, they were saying. I mean, and, and with the attitude of, you can't catch me. And I thought, yeah, we can you know, you, you're a really bad, bad group of people. And I don't understand how you can, you know, I think, I, you know, really muddy the First Amendment, which is precious to the American experience, and and be willing to run a website that sells children. How, how, how do you get up and look at yourself in the mirror? I don't think there's any answer to that. I, I don't either. Because there's a profit motive. Yeah, no, I think I think as we as we move forward, I think that um you know, we're going to continue to to see it, this is there there is huge money in this as you have as you as uh, have, have experienced and as we know. Um if there weren't, we wouldn't have this problem. So now we know there's huge money in this. Um so we always have to be ahead of the bubble. Because if we push here and we get this done, it's going to pop up somewhere else. Absolutely, it's called you know, it, it, you know the the perpetrators will always make sure there's a supply by exploiting children, and these horrible people who buy children um, will will always be on on the hunt. And so um, your work and the work of the National Center. Um, which we regionally take some some pride in because of the Jacob Weatherling case. Um, you know, we are so proud of the work that you do. You're such a it's, I, I cannot tell my listeners what an enormous partner um, you personally and your organization has been to our office as we continue this fight. And I know I know you have a lot of support up here on the Hill. Um, we just have to get this done, but we have to not think that our work's done. Um, and rest on our laurels. Every day, a child is exploited. Thousands of children are exploited in this country. And if we are going to protect them, it is going to take all of us. And it's going to take us being smart and working together. And you are just the best partner. Thank you so much, you Senator. Bet. Thank you for, for being on. And let's get this done. Absolutely. Okay. Bye-bye. hopeful that we've gained enough bipartisan support to pass our bill in the Senate. 
and Senator Portman and I won't give up the fight. I truly believe there's enough members in Congress who want to put partisanship aside and do what's right for our children and every victim of human trafficking. Thanks so much for listening to this helping of the hot dish. 